0: Hello and welcome to Ball in the Real World. My name is Olga Nolich. This is ESPN's podcast, home of Australian basketball. This week we're focused on NBL action. It's been a crazily packed two weeks of NBL basketball. We've seen close game after close game, overtimes, double overtimes, Next Nexstar's killing it, imports shining some imports, looking not so good, um, and probably a dunk of the year contender that, that might not be surpassed. Uh, to talk about everything over the first two rounds. We want to dissect it. Two of my favorite people to talk uh, about basketball with, uh, a pair of ESPN contributors, Steve Smith and Kane Pittman. Kane, if you had to describe the first two
1: weeks of NBL 21 with in one word, what is that word? Uh, busy, I think. And you you hit hit on it right there. I mean, there's been so <laughs> many games. That I, I'm loving the fact that it feels like it's rolling from weekend through to weekend. So busy, I would say, is the word that comes to mind over the first two and a bit rounds.
0: Steve, how are you, how are you feeling about the first two weeks? It seems like we, we don't get a break and it's all action.
2: Yeah, I think uh, if I'm summing up in a word, it's enthralling. Uh, nine out of 12 games decided in single digits. That's uh, never happened before. And uh, I think it's really a testament just to how close this league is going to be this year. So, look,
0: one of the first things that we always speak about in any NBL season is imports, right? Just because it's one of those things that teams have to really, really focus on whether they're going to keep their imports. Do they, you know, pull the trigger early? You know, how are they faring in a league? Are they they adjusting? I know bigs often, you know, have trouble with, with foul trouble. You know, going into this season, I'm gonna start with you, Kane, because we're gonna get right into this. The imports that have impressed you thus far, we've seen. We've seen a few big performances already. We've seen guys that we've seen before, but I feel like I know the answer to this, to this already. But but who's the import who's impressed you
1: most? Well, maybe you don't know the answer, but I, I like the Hawks guys uh, because of the way that they've started. Uh, one of them, uh, okay. one of my early season selections for Defensive Player of the Year, Justin Simon. I can claim that after. Two rounds that it doesn't look completely ridiculous. We'll see how it pans out. But Justin Simon's been absolutely insane on the defensive end. He had a five-steal game, a four-block game. So he's doing it in both of those statistical categories. And Tyler Harvey as well right now, fourth in the league for scoring. Uh, But I would say fourth is is kind of underrating what he's been able to do because the other two guys at the top, Ty Webster and Bryce Cotton, have only played one game as we're recording this. So he's had a 25-point game, a 31-point game. The Hawks overall, I'm sure we're going to discuss, but those two stand out Uh, and maybe it is just through the volume of games they've played to start the season, but they've been mightily impressive.
0: Yeah. When I think of Tyler Harvey and his scoring, you know, it was something that we went into the season. I think we all spoke about this, that he has the potential to lead the league in scoring. He's that sort of bucket getter. Right. Um, And I think it's, it's a testament to how well Justin Simon's been playing, that he's, taken so much of the attention away from Tyler Harvey just because of his ability to impact the floor on the defensive end um so I I totally agree with you there another dude who who I think could uh, I think I mentioned as a potential guy who could lead the league in scoring was Vic Law um Brisbane Bullets I think he's just been so impactful on both ends of the floor um that team without him I think would just be terrible um he's just been such a focal point on both ends um I think he's a guy who. If the Bullets can find their feet and win some games, I think he'll be in the MVP conversation too. That's how, that's how much of an impact he makes on both ends. Steve, who's impressed you so far as far as the imports go?
2: Kane, I cannot believe you didn't run with, with Keith Sykes. Like you, you, <laughs> yeah, that's, what I saw, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, like you had him as your, you know, your dark horse MVP and you were talking him up and then you were proven so prescient. Like, uh, for the first two and a bit rounds, I've just been going, Kane, you were on the money. And he is just, and Kiefer has been incredible. It's somebody posed the question on Twitter during the week: was you know who is, who is Southeast Melbourne, um, who are the best, who's their best player? And your automatic reaction is well, it's Mitch Creek, but Kiefer Sykes has rapidly, rapidly catching up there, um, and I think that's you know he's already in the MVP discussion early, absolutely. But I, I agree, Olgan, with your point about Vic Law because Brisbane don't have a W without him, and. Uh, it, and again, with the Hawks' imports, like it's the perfect combination. In that, Justin Simon doesn't have to score to have such an impact. So, it lets Harvey shine at the offensive end. So, all the imports so far that have been impressed have been ones
0: that have made impacts, not necessarily just on the scoring. Yeah, look, when when we talk about this, it's we, it's easy to forget about you know Bryce Cotton, Scott Machado, Cam Oliver. They're they're the known quantities. We know what they're going to bring. Um, so it is cool to see a lot of really quality imports added to the league, seemingly adjusting really well. One name that I, I like, and I think we're only going to you know talk about him more just because he's easing his way into it, is Jerrell Martin. He, his production and the the way the efficient way he's able to to produce for that Sydney Kings team has been just out of this world. And so I, I think once he gets into a bit better shape, um, gets into a bit more rhythm, you know, gets his legs under him, I have a, I feel like he can be one of the most if not the most dominant big in the nbl um and i think the way he performs will kind of dictate how well the kings do because of some of the, some of the injury issues that they're dealing with um but on the flip side there are some imports already who are sort of having a bit of an adjustment period they're, they're not looking you know they're looking like they're in a bit of a tricky situation right now so kane from what you've seen so far, and again, it's early. Some teams have only played two games. You know, some have played four games. Is, is there an import out there that you think, if if there wasn't COVID, that this guy might be sent home relatively soon?
1: Yeah, I don't know whether this guy would be sent home, and, and certainly not if you listen to Simon Mitchell, uh, the Phoenix coach, post game. But Ben Moore, you mentioned foul trouble. It's been a problem with him to start the season, and we spoke about the Phoenix, and I was pretty high on them coming in. And yes, Kiefer Sykes was a significant part of that. But I thought that they were going to be able to shore up the big man rotation. Unfortunately, through three games, Ben Moore has struggled. He's only averaging four points per game. Two of those games, he was in foul trouble. He's coming off the bench now. Uh, my, my concern with the Phoenix at the moment, we know that they like to play Mitch Creek at the four a lot, but they do look a little bit undersized. And, I, and, I, and Simon Mitchell has come out and said, That he thought still thinks Ben Moore is going to be one of the more dominant big men in the league. That's clearly him just uh, showing full confidence in one of his brand new players. But the thing that I noticed with Ben Moore, he's missed a lot of shots around the basket. And he seems to be really, really, it it seems to be impacting him mentally. He seems like he's really struggling with some of those misses. You can see his emotions. And I wonder whether he's just feeling the pressure a little bit of being that import. That that clearly, uh, they need to stand up a little bit.
0: You know, I think it was that second Southeast Melbourne Adelaide game where Ben Moore really picked it up. Um, I think on both ends, he's a really good energy guy. He gets rebounds. He can block shots. You know, at, when, he, when he plays uh, in the G League, you know, he was sort of, he was on triple-double watch. He was that sort of guy. I think we likened him to Jay Sean Tate going into the season. Um, and so I think he has the potential to be effective. He's just in one of those little, um, yeah. he's in that situation where he's a big who's still trying to get used to the NBL. Um, when I think of bigs who I don't know are going to be able to make it here, I'm looking at Colton Iverson, um, granted, and I'll obviously preface this by saying that they've only played one game, but the breakers were against a big Adelaide team that relied on Daniel Johnson and Isaac Humphreys to, to get their stuff offensively. And Colton Iverson was practically useless. He, he, you couldn't keep him on the floor. I remember at the end of that game, Rob Lowe fouled out and they went with, Kyron Galloway, the the DP, who's still relatively undersized. He's like a big wing. Instead of Colton Iverson, your proven Euroleague big man. Um, you know, he's a he's a true center. He just doesn't look in shape. And I I just don't know if he has the mobility to to keep up with some of the really talented bigs in there Steve. I don't know if you agree with me on that one. Yeah, it's a good point, isn't it? Like a there's a couple of guys
2: like him that are just still finding their feet. It's it's still so early, and I think your point earlier about COVID and the restrictions there probably gives players like him a bit of a chance to to adjust. And there's always that adjustment period. I think we can be a little impatient sometimes and expect every import to hit the ground running, and it just that's never the case. And sometimes patience pays off. But yeah, that they, they need to they need to show something soon. Um, I think both of Adelaide's imports are in that boat as well. Um, Don Sloan redeemed himself slightly against the breakers. That that was a lot better. But I think Tony Crocker, it, he's more of a role playing import. I, I I think expecting him to produce more than fifteen points a game is probably asking too much. But at the moment, they're both only sh- averaging ten points a game. Both sub forty percent shooting. It's that that's not going to cut it for the whole
0: season. Yeah, with, with the Adelaide imports, the one thing that I think we're seeing Connor Henry sort of shift to is playing though both of those guys off the ball a little bit more. I think Donald Sloan, you know, he excelled, you know, running that second unit in their first game against the New Zealand Breakers. You know, Crocker, I think, is just gonna have to get used to playing off guys like Giddy and Sloan and DJ and Humphreys. Um, because he came into the team as this really excellent catch-and-shoot guy. He can really shoot the ball, but he just hasn't been shooting a lot of threes. So I feel like once he sort of gets into his own, gets a bit more comfortable, leans into that part of his game, I think he can be successful, and I think the 36ers can also be successful. Um, But I think it's just about sort of kind of settling in uh, to that role there. Um, Just real quick on the 36ers, they're 2-2 and right now. Obviously, we're recording this before wednesday's adelaide new zealand game um they've got new zealand and the sydney kings at home kane do you think it's legitimate it's a legitimate possibility that the 36ers could finish round three um, with a four and two record and do you think that could maybe help lift them going forward
1: i mean maybe if the game goes to overtime yes i've got adelaide because uh <laughs> so far we've seen them that's where they've picked up the wins but New Zealand, I they we spoke about the challenges New Zealand are going to have coming into this season with their interrupted preparation, not being able to be home, and, and I think we saw that late in that game last week when the whole team it felt like could hardly walk or get up and down the court by the end of by the end of that game. So yeah, yeah, I, th- I think Adelaide certainly, as Steve mentioned, Donald Sloan big shot hit that big three to to tie the game up. So those guys hopefully will start to find a little bit of a rhythm, and even Josh Giddy who has had impressive moments, certainly the impressive overtime period and fourth quarter against the Phoenix, but also at times you can see he's a young guy and he's made a few mistakes and, and that's they're going to work yeah. through that. So I think that he's going to uh, provide uh, a lot of room for improvement as he continues to get comfortable as well.
0: Last one before we put a button on the import chat. Lamar Patterson, I think is clearly not in his ideal shape, right? That is the most correct way I can say that Um, he, the fact that he's still able to produce the way he can um, in the shape that he's in is super impressive, right? We got to hand it to him for that. But there were times when you saw, you know, he, he was a bit gassed gassed at times when he gets on the rim, he he doesn't have, he he couldn't get up. There's a reason why Isaac Humphrey's got the benefit of the doubt on a lot of those 50, 50 calls in the paint. It's because Lamar Patterson couldn't, he had no lift. Um, Steve, do you do you envision that as an issue going forward? I I I don't know. He's we did, he wasn't in the perfect shape last season either. But this season I was I saw him in person. I'm in Adelaide. He he looks he doesn't look like he's in in the shape he needs to be. This is baffling because it, it also makes a mockery of what I said at the
2: start of the, of the season when I said, Yeah, well, he's been playing overseas. He'll be in reasonable game shape, and we won't have the same issues he had at Brisbane last nope. year." And nope, nope. Um, and I agree totally, he, his lift is a problem. Um, and playing yourself into shape in a, in a league like this just isn't a viable option anymore. It's, it's not like the old days where, you know, an import could come in and just expect to, to produce and no matter what shape they were in. And I, he really needs to, to sort this out in a hurry because, as you said, New Zealand don't get, you know, they're not going to go home um, and they need him to, to be at his best. So that needs to be resolved
0: and two weeks in, who or what team has surprised you so far?
1: Well, I, I had Sydney as my surprise team. Uh, not only because the first game, I know they lost, but they were right in it until the final possessions there against Cairns. We had, I think we all had them as losers of the offseason. And a big reason for that was the injuries and the loss of Andrew Bogut. It's not necessarily that they did anything wrong, but I know that you were really high on Jarrell Martin coming in. You already mentioned him. Uh, but that 22.11 rebound performance was really interesting to me because he had 21 shots, not a single free throw. So he's had 30 field goal attempts so far this season and only taken two free throws. And he's a physical player. I'm, I'm really interested to see uh, how this pans out for him because I would expect him to be able to get easier points by getting to the free throw line as the season continues. It's been kind of remarkable that he's been uh, down low, getting the rebounds, not drawing any fouls at all. Uh, and that's yeah, kind of unique for some of these big guys, the, the marquee big players that we see around the league that sort of live at the free throw line.
0: Yeah. And he's going to have an, a, an opportunity to continue to just flourish as the go-to guy on that team. I know they've got Casper Ware and we, we have an idea of what he's going to do, but with no Xavier Cooks, with Daniel Kickett still injured, with Didi Luzada now going down with what looks like a, a it looked like a bad ankle injury. Um, you know, this team, Jerome Martin has to lift this team. He's their only, really, um, threat inside the paint. Um, obviously, he can do other things, too, on the offensive end, but he's going to have a, a big kind of load to carry. Um, and so he's going to have to, to do that if this team, if this Kings team wants to kind of stay afloat until they get all their guys back. Because if they fall... It, it, it does worry me if they fall to what, like if they get to one and five or something like that, and then all their guys come back, all of a sudden they have to c- try to claw their way back into the finals. When it comes to guys who have surprised me, I'm looking at some of the young guys. Um, You know, some of them, we, we knew what they were going to do. You know, we had expectations for, for someone like Josh Giddy. but I'm looking at someone like DJ Vasiljevic, Jack White in Melbourne, um, Yanni Wetzel in Southeast Melbourne. These are dudes who you know, you knew that they were going to be the talent of the future. I didn't realize that they would all be starters and playing at a starting level too. They've all been really, really effective. You see the rookie mistakes, right? And you see that the relative inconsistency too. Um, But the future looks really damn bright with all these guys really, really shining. Um, Steve, what do you think? Yeah, you're right in that respect. In terms of like somebody like
2: Jack White, um, you know, he played crunch time minutes the other night. and. Looked really comfortable. Um, had some nice finishes. Played played hard at both ends. Just looked super comfortable at at the pro level. So in terms of that, um, Wetzel's looked good in parts. Um, probably fallen off a cliff a little the the last two games. But I think those again, it's a bit like the imports, just adjusting. I think that's a, a tempo thing that and the, adjusting just to the rhythm, finding a natural rhythm to play in. I think that's that's just a, an ongoing process. Um, for me, the te- the team that surprised me and it's not in a good way uh, is the Cairns Taipans. Um, you know, to go one and three at home, that really, really surprised me. I, I thought they'd be a lot better at the uh, fantastically named Snag Pit, and um, I just, I honestly thought that they would be just so, so much more in sync. Given they didn't have a lot of personnel turnover over the off season, um, and and it's a real
0: wasted opportunity to to start the season really strongly. The tight ends are, are really interesting because we, we all had an idea of the the impact that DJ Nuble had on both ends, uh, and we knew that would be a huge loss. I don't think any of us really envisioned the drop being this steep, right? I think they're getting what they need from their top five dudes, right? That 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 makes sense, right? Machado, Quanoy, Jarek, Oliver, and then Majuk Deng at times. They're go- you know what they're going to bring you. I I think we've also maybe overestimated their depth. They're, they're really young coming off the bench. And when it comes to their experience off the bench, it's Nate Jawai, who I don't think you can play all the time. Um, and so they're in a really precarious situation because it's not just going one and three. It's going one and three at home. So yeah. dropping, dropping basically a quarter of your home games to start the season already is is really difficult. And you know they, they went through this last season too. Um, I think they started 0-3. And I remember in... Uh, in, they were in Illawarra, and, you know, I spoke to some of the guys there, and they were really down, but they managed to turn it around, and a lot of that had to do with, with the fact that DJ Nuble can sort of help carry them on both ends, and, and, you know, he's a really effective pro. I don't know if they have that guy now. You know, will Mojave King step up? Will Will someone like Quat Noy be more consistent throughout a game? You know, he goes quiet at times. You know, something about them does scare me. You know, that I don't think they have the defensive chops to to be a finals team, Kane.
1: Yeah, probably the thing that stands out to me with Cairns so far, some of those guys you mentioned, and obviously the star players, it feels like it's all isolation, all individual on offense. And one guy will have the ball, he'll stand on the perimeter, he'll fire up a shot, hopefully it goes in, but it doesn't seem like they're getting a lot from the other guys. And and I look at a team to compare them to Melbourne United where they're running a bunch of pick and roll for different guys they they're, they're giving dribble handoffs guys are cutting off ball. They're moving off ball. It just doesn't seem like that's the case with cans to me early in the season. And someone like Quattanoia you mentioned has been up and down a little bit and he's had a couple of really hot stretches. I think he had 10 or 11 points in one of those first quarters of one of those games they played. But even still, some of the shot selection, he was making some of those shots. And I was thinking, this is crazy, some of these pull-up looks he's <laughs> taking in transition. So to me, I don't know. They don't seem to be playing like a team on offense. And maybe that will iron out as the weeks go on. But it is a little bit surprising, considering that a lot of these guys played together last season.
0: and And while there are concerns, obviously, we do have to understand the fact that their last game was a a loss to Melbourne United that was on the buzzer. Yeah. They competed. Um, but on Melbourne, I want to move on to them because they're really, they're really interesting. They, it was a close win over Cairns, but it just does seem like Melbourne is one of those teams that has the ability just to flick a switch. Um, you, you don't get many of those teams. Obviously, Jock Landau has now famously, famously said that they're going to go undefeated. You know, that's obviously a very kind of tall task. Um, but, Steve, when we talk about Melbourne, all the talent they have, the complimentary guys who seem to fit in just perfectly, is—is is it crazy to think that they'll go undefeated? And is it, as it is in my mind, do you think it's Melbourne and then the rest? I think having the mindset that you that they would like
2: to go undefeated, I think that's fine. I think going into every game thinking that you're not going to lose, I think that's going to go a long way to you know to having that that elite mentality but to think that they'll I I don't think it's ludicrous but a lot has to go right and so that you can have an off night the other team can get hot injuries all these things factor into you know into a long season so I think I don't think they'll go undefeated but they've certainly got the talent and the depth at the moment to go a long way towards that so it's and it's the depth that's the key for me because if you've got guys like like Jack White and, and you know, Baba coming off the bench and just contributing and knowing their roles, it's a really hard combination to beat.
0: Yeah. Like it's, it's what we went, it's what we spoke about it going in, you know, having Mitch McCarron and Chris Golding and Jock Landau and Scotty Hobson, who really hasn't done anything yet, to have all those guys and then adding guys, not who are just really talented, but they just play a role really well. So Jack White knows he's not going to come in and go and average 20 points. But he knows he'll come in, he'll get tough rebounds, he'll win 50-50 balls, he'll dive on the floor and he'll get big defensive plays. Right? He knows that he's coming to do that. Dave Barlow knows that when he comes on the floor, he's gonna spot up and hit shots. He's gonna let the, the talent, the, the top-tier talent do their thing, and he's just gonna he's just gonna sit back. I, I think it's it's a similar recipe that I think the Hawks. Have put together where I really like their top-tier talent. I like Tyler Harvey. We spoke about him. We spoke about Justin Simon. You added Justinian Jessup, and we'll see what Dell and Cambersto can add to it. But I really think the the crux of that team is the sort of heart and soul of your Emmett Nas and you know your Isaac Whites and your AJ Ogilvie's who can come on. So Kane, do you so firstly are you surprised that the Hawks' is 3-0 start um and Do you you think there are similarities there as well between Melbourne and and the Hawks and what they're trying to achieve as far as the balance on the court?
1: Yeah, depth-wise, certainly, I think the comparisons are there. I am surprised that they're 3-0 just because they've played some quality teams. I I think the thing that stands out to me with Melbourne that still has them uh, significantly ahead of any other team in the league, uh, when you talk about that depth, Uh, their starters at the moment, I'm looking at the box score here, even from the game against Cairns the other night, Chris Golding led all starters or every player on United's roster. He only played 28 minutes. And so the thing that that stands out to me is that United haven't even extended the rotation at all. But the part of the reason for that is because when you go back to the first game that that Melbourne played, perhaps the player of the game was Shea Ely off the bench. So the thing is that they've actually got guys that are probably starting caliber players That can slot into the starting lineup. I think there's more question marks around the sustainability of some of the players on that Hawks roster. Tyler Harvey, we know, is probably going to be a scorer. Is Justin Simon going to continue to be the player that he was in the first few games? Because even though he scored a lot in game one over the last two games, he really struggled to have that impact offensively. Jessup is probably going to be up and down. He's a shooter. That's going to happen. So I, I probably just think the consistency is there with United that I think you're going to know what you're going to get every single night over the course of a whole season. I'm unsure whether the Hawks will have that, but I mean, quite obviously they couldn't have started <laughs> any better. They've been, they've been very impressive.
0: Yeah. And, and on Jessup, cause I, I do want to talk about the next stars for a little bit. Um, I think he's, he's, a better offensive player than a lot of people realize he should and and he's in a weird spot because he doesn't get as much hype as some of the other next stars just because he's older and he's practically an import um just just in the way that a a person coming out of college is the same as john mooney right um but i i think a lot of us underestimate the impact that he can have he's the kind of guy who if he gets a clean look that shot's going in more times than it isn't um so steve i want to ask you you know is has he been, I guess, I don't want to say the most impressive because Giddy has been, you know, very impressive, at least through stretches, you know, who, to you then, who, who's been the most impressive next star we've seen so far and who, who do you have a lot of hope for?
2: Oh, no, look, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, it's Jessup and not by a long way, but there's there's a little bit of daylight between him and, and Giddy. Um, I can't remember if it was you or Kane who picked Jessup as, as being Rookie of the Year uh, in our pre I stand by this. There you go. There you go. I'll, I'll pay credit where it's due. And he has been he's looked extraordinarily comfortable from word go. And, you know, 13 points and, and five rebounds per game and throwing in, you know, two and a half assists per game as well. And it's shown that in every facet of the game, he's looked exceedingly comfortable at the pro level. So he's been really good. I, J- Josh has been fine. He, he's showed plenty of promise, but there's been a couple of times where he's been probably bodied a little bit. You know, Corey Webster said that Ty Webster was gonna feast. And uh he sure did. So, you know, that's and that's part of the up and up and down growth process that that all the next stars are gonna are gonna have. And I think uh look, I think King he showed out against Sydney a little bit. I think he showed what we probably expected, but again, there's been that up and down. So and it's and it's unfortunate that that Diddy got injured because I think obviously for, for not just because the Kings have an injury list a mile long now um, but just for his own growth and development and it'll it remains to be seen how long he's going to be out for
0: yeah and on on Mojave King right he's a guy who I definitely want to see get extended minutes you can you can tell that he's sort of getting used to the rhythm of the pro level finding his spots things like that um, he doesn't have that sort of game where the game he, he, the game doesn't slow down for him like it does for someone like Giddy, right? And so I sort of want to see him get a, get a bit more minutes, get some repetitions and kind of get into that groove. Um, I agree with you on Giddy, right? I think with him, I think we can all agree that when it comes to his long-term potential and even let's say to, when it comes to the middle of this season, he has the potential to, to get to a point where he's like an obvious starter in the NBL and, and you know one of those special sort of players, right? We've already seen glimpses of it. But I think it'll just take some repetitions for him to really get to that spot where you can sure. trust him night in and night out. And obviously, he's probably a, your, your league pass sort of guy, right? You you want to watch him play every night. Um, but yeah, back back to Jessup. It's just, he's he's the guy who I think has the potential to be the most consistent. Um, Kane, I want to ask you, Luzada was going to have more of a burden on him going into the season with the loss of Bogut, with Xavier Cooks going down, they needed someone on the wing to really make an impact. In what we've seen so far, and obviously we haven't seen much. Um, you know, do you do you think he's going to be able to, let's say, when he gets back from injury, step into that role and be the sort of what Lamar Patterson was for the Bullets last season, or what Scotty Hobson was for the Breakers? Maybe or not, not at that level, but do you think he can sort of step into that role and make an impact?
1: Yeah, I hope so. He was my uh, when we did our our. Peace for ESPN.com.au. He was my next star to watch because I, for that reason that um, yes, I thought that he was going to take a step up, but I thought he was going to be asked to do that. And he was going to need to do that for this Sydney team. So the fact he's going to be out for a little bit is disappointing, but he's going to have the opportunity, which I think is the most exciting thing. And we saw through last year as the, the longer the season went, he was more comfortable. His shooting percentages steadily rose throughout the season. I expect that will be the case again. Hopefully, his ankle doesn't keep, keep him out uh, for too long. And while we are claiming uh, our, our preseason predictions, uh, gonna, I, I did ask you about Jessup's potential scoring points per game. I had him as an outsider for sixth man of the year. He's been starting. So has Justin Simon because we haven't even brought up the fact that Dengendal hasn't been playing. So probably one of those two guys moves out of the starting lineup. Do you, th- I mean, do you think it is going to be uh, a Justin Simon that automatically will go out? Because I do wonder with a player like that, the defensive guy that you want uh, playing against a, a Machado or whoever it may be, it's it's nice to have him in the starting lineup for those matchups.
0: I, I at this point, from what we've seen so far, I can't see Justin Simon being moved to the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke with. Hawks assistant Jacob Jacobus last week they really like his leadership on that end and he's shown it right we we know what he can do he's one of those rare guys who can really take over a game his impact on that end is really tangible right so I can't see him leaving the starting lineup Um, from memory and I don't know why this escapes me but the Hawks I think have started quite big I think they've gone with you know Froling and uh, Ogilvy I think that that was their starting lineup in the last game I really like the idea of Getting taking one of those bigs out and playing Dengadel at the four, mm-hmm. just just go pure positionless, play kind of small. We've seen that Gorgian likes to do that. We've seen Deng Deng play a lot of the four, a lot of the four. We saw Max Darling play at the five for a small amount of time. So he's not against playing small. And I really like the idea of having this team that can just play basically four out, um, put, put the ball in Tyler's hands. Dengadel can go get his, he can push in transition too. I think that could be a, a, miss, a mismatch sort of nightmare for a lot of teams. So I, I think that's what they're going to go with. Steve, I don't know if you agree with me, but I, I'd like, I just like the idea of keeping Jessup on the floor as um, you know, this this threat and then just adding Dengadel in as a, a two-way guy at, at the four. What do you think?
2: I think it's probably a horses for courses thing where you can probably start Jessup off the bench and he still plays starters minutes as a, as a sixth man. It's, it's a real luxury to have somebody who could probably score... And contribute in every facet of the game. And if he's your first man off the bench, then that's that's a luxury that not a lot of teams are going to have. So I think Gorge will probably play it. You know, in terms of matchups and depending on the night, who's you know who's looking more likely. So I, I think
0: it's 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 a good flexibility. It's a good problem to have. I think on that point, I'm looking at what the 36ers are doing. Who I think I think they're going to settle on have having Donald Sloan sort of be in charge of that second unit and then when it comes to crunch time, whoever's rolling, whatever the matchups dictate, that's the guy who's going to play when the game's on the line. I think it could be the same thing with Jessup to that point. Um, I feel like we've covered most teams or most teams, I guess, worth covering at this point. Um, we're in a weird spot with MBL because the games don't stop. We went from round two straight into round three the following night. Um, it's like a good 10, 12 days of straight basketball. Um but I want to get to get real the segment that I like to add in this show this show is called on the real world um get real it's where we can come out and we can have a little rant just something that irks us something that's impressed us whatever it is now when we spoke before we went live we realized that our get real segments uh, respectively were all on the same thing um and I think we disagree and so I'll go to Kane. What, what do you have to say about this issue? Firstly, tell us what it is, and then, and, and then give us your perspective on it.
1: Well, uh, we're talking about replay reviews, and we maybe earlier on in the week I will say, but I could have potentially spoke about the the age old discussion with the court decals. But looks like there's some stuff happening with there, but that's obviously been an issue moving through. We're talking about replay reviews outside of the fourth quarter. Outside of the final two minutes of the game, it's ridiculous. We do not need to be going to replay review halfway through the first quarter. Just let the officials make a decision. It doesn't matter. It slows the game down. You can see the players are asking the question, what are we doing? Why are we waiting two and a half minutes? And nothing annoys me more than when you hear the announcers say, well, gonna get the, We'll get the right decision though. No, that's going to be fantastic. Who cares? <laughs> what are you talking about? You're making us sit here for minutes on end for something to check a fingernail. And a lot of the times, those out-of-bounds calls that we see late in games don't even match up with what the original rule was in terms of out-of-bounds calls anyway. I don't like it. I hate it. Get rid of too many replay reviews. Let the officials do their job.
0: Okay, so... When we spoke before, you, you guys knew that I disagreed with you. Um, <laughs> there, is, there is one thing I would change. So, but firstly, look, it's, if, if we have a decision to either get the right decision or have the wrong decision, I feel like I know where most people would sit. Um, and if we can do that in a way that is a, as efficient as possible, I think that's where we should lean. right? So if they can get that done quickly, the fact that they're doing it off-site, I love Right. I don't like the whole, you know, going to the to the scoring bench, having Vaughn Mayberry turn a, a big ass computer and, and try to look at it like that. Have someone off site do it. They don't have um, you know, the crowd sort of dictating their decisions either. That's it's I feel like it's sound, right? We're we're getting it done. We're getting it done relatively quickly. The one thing I would change is I think crowds should be aware of it. There there have been points where I've been in in the arena and the game just stops for 30 seconds just because we don't know and we don't know what's happening i i think they should sort of communicate that better to a crowd but as far as a tv audience they know what's up they're going to get the right decision it's going to take a little bit more time but i I feel like it's better than having a wrong decision that could turn a game for you know for someone and it'll feel like an injustice right steve steve are you on my side no no i am not (laughs) um
2: it's, it's not happening quickly that's the problem like, if it was taking only 30 seconds, then I probably wouldn't have an issue with it. But honestly, if I wanted to see a middle-aged man stare at a computer screen, I'd just take a selfie. Like, it just, it should not be taking <laughs> this long. It should not be happening before the fourth quarter. I'm, I'm firmly with Kane on this one. End rant.
1: <laughs> and I'll... Olgen, let me jump in, because yeah. you, you also so said what? that uh, there could be a game-changing decision. But the problem is, and, and this is... This is what the big issue we're going to replay review is. So you want to do an out of bounds call in the first quarter? Do you know how many bad calls the officials make through a game anyway? Because it's difficult to officiate oh, heaps, the game speed. Heaps. So why well, not, aren't you? So, so a- that means we actually need to review every single whistle that happens because it could potentially change the game. My man Kiefer Sykes uh, got uh, blocked pretty cleanly <laughs> in, in a recent game, and uh, to run replay. It was a bad call. I hate to go against my guy. It was a bad call. That could have changed the, the game uh, right there. They didn't go to a replay because they weren't able to. Happens all the time. Why are we doing out-of-bounds calls?
0: So look, we, can, we could do a whole podcast series on some of the deficiencies within <laughs> NBL officiating, right? Well, that's, not, that's not what this is, right? We, we, can, we don't have to get into that. It's, it's annoying that we've sort of developed this apathy for NBL officiating and that it's, it's just sometimes not going to be great, right? We, we know that. But I think when it comes to a call that is objective, Right, and and I wouldn't be against them doing this for goaltending calls, um, just calls that are very that, that are just black and white, right? Char- block charges, no, right? That's a, it's a subjective call. You know, as much as there's a rule, there's, there's subjectivity to it, right? There's human judgment. When it comes to who the ball goes off, going out of bounds, we we know we can see it, right? And so again, if we can take a bit of time to get a decision right, I think we should do that because because it's then it feels like an injustice, right? And I don't like injustice.
1: Olgan Olgen gets paid by the hour. It's good for him. He wants these games to go for hours and hours and hours.
2: <laughs> can I, uh, can I also talk about, it? there's also an injustice we need, we, we haven't addressed, and that we're not talking about Cam Oliver's dunk enough. Can we just, we're all in agreement on that, yeah. right? It's yeah. the biggest dunk. I agree. Any you have seen in the NBL and I've, been watching the NBL for quite a while, and I can't remember a bigger dunk. Look, I'm
0: I'm still relatively young, and so I, the only dunk that comes <laughs> close in the NBL maybe JP Tokoto did something that I'm forgetting, just because he did a lot and he was super athletic. Um, Casey Prey though, over AJ Ogilvy, the context of that dunk mattered too. Um, mm. But when it comes to just the viciousness of a dunk, um, just how powerful it was, it it, it quite rightly was. The sports and number one play it quite rightly went around the world. It was an incredible play, and the fact that it came after he tried to do a three sixty dunk in traffic <laughs> over the same person is just very funny. um And look, I'm I was in awe it, when it happened. The, the person who I was watching the game with was just like, "Oh my god, it is it, something violent happened."
2: Yeah, it was in it was in Leon Trimingham Bennett Davison territory for me, and that's. That's high, high praise because those two were two of the most vicious dunkers that, you know, from all the time I've been watching the NBL, it was those two and then Daylight. And this dunk is right there.
1: It was it was a beauty. Anytime you can dunk, rise up, throw down on someone, send them to the floor, uh that that adds a, a little bit extra to it. You mentioned it, it was violent. Uh, we loved it. The only thing I will say, uh, our producer, uh, Laurie, might have uh some Hakeem Warwick highlights from back in the day. We know he's a big Hakeem Warwick <laughs> fan. I'm sure he I'm sure he at least had one highlight real dunk, I think.
0: <laughs> he did. He did, he definitely did. That, I think, is where we're going to end it. That's all we have to offer you today as well. If you want to see more dunks like that, ESPN broadcasts a lot of NBL games. Make sure to check that out. If you like what you heard, you know, head on your favorite podcast app, wherever you listen to your podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, all of that jazz. You know where to find us. Um, to see the work that all of us do, respectively, go to ESPN.com.au. We try to cover Australian basketball as holistically as possible. I'm Olga Nulic. That's Kane Bittman. That's Steve Smith. See you next time.